These are the daily lectionary comments for January 4th. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 63, beginning at verse 15. Isaiah pleads to the Lord for mercy, and God answers him. And then Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, we see Jesus as a boy of 12 in the temple. Okay, Isaiah 63, beginning at verse 15, then all of Isaiah 64, and a little bit of Isaiah 65. And this begins with a really heart-wrenching prayer from the prophet Isaiah for his people. Verse, uh, verse 15 says, Look down from heaven and see, from your holy uh, and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? So he's asking God, where, where, where is he? As he sees and Isaiah observes that the people are, are uh, being surrounded and, and the enemies of God are doing with the people whatever it is that they please. The, the cities of Judah are being ransacked. Jerusalem is being surrounded. The future of Jerusalem looks very, very bleak. God is very angry with his people. It's very clear. And so Isaiah is, is, is asking God to look down and have pity on his people. And look what he says in verse 16. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways, harden our hearts? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Of your heritage, of course. God is not exactly hardening the people's heart and making them uh, abandon Him. If Isaiah was to give a fuller description here, he would have to acknowledge that the people hardened their own hearts first and abandoned the Lord to wander after other gods. It was only after that that in time the word of God became noxious to them and actually had the effect of driving them away. That's why uh, God says to Isaiah, preach, and they will never hear, um, present this word to them, and, 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 but they will not listen. And so this has been much the experience that Isaiah had is that the more he preached, the more the people turned away from the Lord. But this isn't because the Lord prevented them from believing, uh, but instead because they turned away from the Lord. And, and that's, uh, that's the ultimate uh, end of that. Verse, uh, 60, or chapter 64, verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down to make known your uh, uh, your name to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. So this of course is something that many a Christian might say, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. How many times have all of us thought, oh, I wish the Lord would just appear and, and, and uh, you know, make his presence known so that those who are, uh, are ignoring him and, and uh, taunting him and, and persecuting his people would suddenly be set straight. Oh, that the Lord would rend the heavens. It's a wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful line that's often employed uh, during Advent time because we're waiting for the Lord to come. But now it also says uh, in, in verse, uh, verse 5, it says, Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our iniquities, uh, like the wind, take us away. And there is no one who calls upon your name, for you have hidden your face from us. Now here, uh, Isaiah is painting a fuller picture. The problem is not 
that God forced us uh, to abandon him. The problem is that we abandoned God, and now we wander further and further away. And the further away we get from God, the easier it is to go on abandoning him. And so Isaiah is acknowledging this. Verse 8, again, uh, just filled with pathos, it says, And now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember our iniquity forever. We are your people. So Isaiah is pleading that God would would look again on his people and have pity on them. They've suffered enough uh, and come and return and show yourself to be the loving God. Uh, may your punishments stop on us. Although we have deserved them, uh, O Lord, he prays, have pity on us. Now the Lord answers him in 65 verse 1. It says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. He's describing here <coughs> various pagan rituals that his people were doing while God is reaching out to them and calling them to repentance. Meanwhile, they are engaging in, in various uh, pagan and idolatrous rituals. Look, it says verse in verse 4, it says, Who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, the broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. I will indeed repay into their bosom both your iniquities and your father's in, uh, uh, iniquities together, says the Lord, because they make offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their bosom payment for their former deeds. So Isaiah pleads with the Lord, and the Lord's answer is, I have been calling to these people, and they have been ignoring me. But he also notes that there is a difference between those who have been faithful and those who have not, and those who have not been faithful and who continue to, to provoke him by following idols, then the Lord's redemption for his people is going to be a day of great vengeance against them, and he promises that they will be repaid. He is not going to forget uh, the sins of those who have rejected him. But that doesn't mean that he does not continue to call to his people and does not still love them uh, with a deep and abiding and steadfast love. So. God answers Isaiah and says, I am hearing your, your, your prayer. I am having pity on my people, but I am not going to have pity on those who continue to provoke me by following other gods. It's a very poignant um, uh, chapter here where the discussion and the dialogue between God and, and Isaiah, you really get a very personal sense for the way this relationship between God and his people has gone. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, gives us the one and the only uh, picture of Jesus as, as a, a, a child, not a small child. This is a 12-year-old child, uh, and it's a very interesting picture indeed. And we have a situation where uh, Joseph and Mary have taken Jesus up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This is another little signal uh, to us that Joseph and Mary were very observant Jews. They were faithful uh, in trying to follow the law of Moses. And that's what's bringing them up to Jerusalem to celebrate. <coughs> and after they were done, uh, they left, and they inadvertently left Jesus behind. You've probably heard 
Uh, this is not as, as uh, stunning an act of negligence as it may seem like. Uh, we imagine, you know, the, the, the little nuclear family, Joseph, Mary, and, and Jesus, uh, getting into their car and driving back to Nazareth, only Jesus isn't in the back seat. Nobody seems to notice for several days. But actually, there would have been a caravan of people, uh, the large extended family uh, and from the community that would have traveled from Nazareth and other communities nearby to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, Passover. And it was routine that the families would look after one another's kids. You wouldn't just have your own kids sitting you know, right next to you, and that's it. It's this little nuclear family. So it is entirely possible that if, if the child was left behind, it wouldn't be obvious uh, even to the parents necessarily, that he wasn't there uh, with the aunts and the uncles or the other uh, other kids uh, somewhere in this caravan. But anyway, they figure out that he's not there and they go back. Now, there's several interesting things uh, that we hear here. Verse 46 says, Jesus was in the temple and he was listening and asking them, that is the wise ones, the rabbis there in the temple questions. He was listening and asking questions. And there is a wonderful a picture of how one goes about growing in the Lord. You listen and you ask questions. You listen to the teachers and ask questions of the teachers so that you can understand more and more um, what the Lord has revealed to us and what there is to know. So Jesus is hungry to know more. Now, of course, it's interesting. Jesus here is the Son of God, and yet he's having to ask questions. And I want to remind you again, that Jesus, having become a human being, became a real human being. So he was born as an infant, and now he is a real-life 12-year-old child. And a 12-year-old child doesn't know everything. They have to learn, just like the rest of us. They have to learn. And Jesus is like a sponge, learning and growing by asking questions and listening carefully. So wonderful vision there of, of, of Jesus in the temple. A little irony here, it says, after three days... They found him in the temple. And of course, Jesus says, why, why didn't you find me? Why didn't you go straight to the temple? Where were you looking for these last three days? Um, uh, you know, this, this should have been the first place that you would have gone rather than the last one. And this is a very enigmatic statement. I must be in my father's house. Uh, and and they, they simply did not not quite understand the full significance of that yet. But they would later on. The text says, uh, that uh, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. That uh, line ap appears a number of times in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And, and it's very clear that Luke chapter 1 and 2 are uh, the source for all of this information is Mary. Mary was there uh, to learn about uh, Zachariah and his vision of the angel and the birth of John and what happened then, as well as uh, uh, her own interactions with the angel and the birth of Jesus as well as this episode here uh, in, in, when Jesus was 12. That Mary treasured up all these things in her heart is Luke's way of telling us, this is where I got the information from. She uh, noted these things, remembered these things, and, and told them all to me as I am preparing uh, to, to write this gospel. So, also, uh, the, the reading finishes in verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. According to his divine nature, of course, Jesus doesn't grow in wisdom. According to his divine nature, being divine means you already know everything. But Jesus, in his state of humiliation, divests himself of all the benefits uh, of, of being God. And he reduces himself to what a human being is 
and can be and do. <coughs> Human beings grow. We grow, we listen, and we ask questions, and we learn by trial and error. And we grow. We grow in stature. We grow in wisdom. We grow in favor before other people and before God. And Jesus was experiencing all the kinds of things that human beings, real human beings, do. You never want to think about Jesus as just God in the shell of a human uh, body, uh, but really is just going through the motions. That is not what the incarnation means, and that is not how the scripture presents this word who has become flesh. It presents him as a real life baby, a real life child, a real life young man, a real life adult, a real life human being who really did grow, who really did suffer, who really did die, who really did come to life again. And this little line here that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man uh, is once again presenting Jesus as a real, uh, genuine human being.